Have you ever turned on the television, maybe in years past, and saw a big-haired like TV evangelist who would ask you to write a check and put it in the mail or call the hotline and, and that God would bless you by doing so? You ever seen anyone or heard about somebody doing that? We can, see, some of us now can actually see right through this type of a twisted doctrine, but there is this idea that still sticks with audiences that our obedience translates into a financial reward. But what does the Bible say about obedience and blessings? Can, can, can we have one without the other? And is one restricted? This morning we're going to look at this very worldly and this very unbiblical teaching that obedience always leads to financial blessing. By popular belief, that's what, that's what some in our world will think. And normally these kinds of television sermons are, are followed up with an exhortation from the stage that says, you know what, God's going to provide for all of our needs. And, and the means that he does that by is by our obedience. He's going to provide based on how much you're obedient, right? See, when this message of God will take care of all of your needs, when it is put in this theological mixing bowl and, and people put their stained, sinned hands into this theology and mix it all around, you know what happens? We taint the message. When man puts his hand in the gospel, then we get a message that has been mixed with the presentation of very skilled people. We get a message that has been covered with some sprinkles because everyone likes sprinkles, right? We get, we get a message that has been distorted from the true message of the word of God. I think it's fair to say that Whenever humans put their hands in the realm of theology and biblical direction that was given to us by our God Almighty, that we are actually desecrating the holiness of God's word by touching it with our own wicked hands. That's not reading and teaching, but it's when we take it and we say, I believe, or when we say, I think, or when we say, I'm going to use this so that I can make other people do something that I really want or something that I'm trying to get them to do that's not for a heavenly purpose. See, it was man, not God, it was man who took that biblical truth of God will provide for our needs and he turned it into a message that says God will give you everything you want. God never says that, right? He never tells us that. There's this deception that has crept into the church and it happened so slowly that sometimes people didn't even see it coming. And unfortunately, it came from some leaders that we trusted. I'm not going to lie, I've been burnt in the past by trusting without looking into the Word of God. One of my numerous character flaws Kelly's list is longer than mine, but uh, there's, uh, there, there is a list. But one of them is my relationship with trust. I have a habit of trusting people first. This personality trait, it does, it has its pros and cons. Some of you might deal with this and struggle with this. That you trust people first, and typically it means that I'm going to believe what you tell me until you give me a reason not to trust you anymore. I've learned the hard way through my 20s and my 30s that this trait I needed to work on because it was, it was like 
kryptonite. It was what would bring me down. I was easily taken advantage of because you trust too soon and you trust, trust too easy. And unfortunately, anyone in an authoritative position in my life, whether it be a teacher or a pastor or somebody at a school, somebody with a uniform on, I put trust in automatically. And that would also come to people in our world who have a Bible in their hand, who I feel knows more than I do about it. And I put trust there. And especially growing up and then the internet comes around and it's full of people. And, and when, when the internet came to everyone's home in, in the late 90s and 2000s, there was this idea that if you have a web page, you are trustworthy. If you have a video on YouTube, you are trustworthy. The pastors and people in my life who knew more, I felt knew more, I gave more trust. And so the church, kind of falling into this trust first mentality through the years, and their inability to go back and say, you know what, is this really true? Is that really true? What has happened is this has crept into churches and it's crept into the pulpit, which now today makes this one of the most controversial sermons that I have ever preached. And I know without a doubt there's some people who will listen to this sermon today and maybe will listen on the podcast and will say, yeah, but... I know a preacher who says that. I know a preacher who, who talks about that, who says, yes, that financial giving leads to my blessings. And this is going to be my response. My response is how we live the Christian life, it's not reliant upon what a pastor says. It is only reliant upon what the Bible says. You are rarely going to hear me from the pulpit use the words, I believe, because it doesn't matter what I believe. The only thing that matters is what the Bible says. Amen. When you hear somebody say, well, I believe that God wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's not what I believe. It's what the Bible says that matters. It's not what I believe. It's not what you believe. It's not what an evangelistic preacher on a television believes. It's not what somebody who can con you into believing believes. It's not what anyone can tell you and you don't do enough research or we don't do enough research to go out and see is this correct no we take everything back to our authority we take everything back to the book everyone in this room today and everyone who grows into this room over the next year over the next 10 years 100 years you have absolute permission from me to question everything. Everything from the pulpit. And I want you to question that everywhere you go, and I want you to go back to the book. That's why this today is controversial, because there are so many people who have been taught this, but we are going to look and see what does the Bible say. This is personal for me, because... I had to struggle with this through my Christian walk. There was a time in my 20s when I was struggling in my career, I would have two, three, four different jobs. I didn't go to college out of high school. And so I had different jobs just to try and keep the bills paid. I grew up in a small conservative Southern Baptist church in a small town and I hadn't been to church in about maybe eight or 10 years. And honestly, the last time that I had been to church on a full-time basis, I was the kid in the back who was just writing notes to the girls down the pew. That was it. That was me. 
And there was a time in going from one job to another that I remember I had come across a gentleman at, at one of my jobs and in the break room and you could tell he was a Christian by his demeanor. But we didn't really talk that much because I knew he knew more than I did. I was a little bit shy to, to talk. I really did feel like I didn't have the confidence to talk to this brother in Christ because I didn't know enough about the Bible because what was I doing? I had just been passing notes in church, right? That's all I was, that's all I had been, been doing. So he had come up to me and began a conversation with me in the break room one day. And we were talking finance and we were talking about my struggles. And he did what a television evangelist did in the 70s and 80s. He actually did that to me that day, and I didn't know what was wrong. He asked me, he says, well, if you're struggling financially, how much are you tithing? And I could count on zero fingers how much I was giving to God. Over the course of the lunch, he went on to tell me, he says, well, God blesses those financially who bless the church, who give back. He says, that's, that's what God does. Like, you want to solve your problems? Start there. And so now I have this hope. I, and literally, I went from work, and I was driving. I'm looking at churches on where I could go on Sunday and deposit my ticket. I could pay my $2. I could put my tithe in so that we could start to see God work in my financial life. I started doing math and figuring, what's okay, what's 10% of my salary? What am I going to do with this? I think I found a place that I'm going to go. And so before Sunday even came around, you know what went through my mind? I thought, you know what? What if I gave God 20%? You know what that means? That means double blessings, right? So Sunday morning, I roll up to a church that I know nothing about. I go in and I'm looking for girls down to pass notes to. There's nobody there. And, and so here comes the, the golden plate that, that is going to be the answer to my prayers. And so I, I take this wad of cash, more than I've ever given to anybody, and I put it in the plate as it's passed by. And at that moment, I felt like that greedy banker who smiles and starts rubbing his hands together just waiting for that big blessing <laughs> with the evil laugh, right? I'm just waiting now. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And after a couple of weeks, I asked Jim, I, I, I said, well, what, what's going wrong? What, and he told me, he says, he says, well, you're giving with expectation, not out of obedience. And so I changed my approach. I just simply gave what I thought the Bible said, 10%. And I made it a consistent habit of, of giving because that's what Jesus told me to do. And you know what happened? Not, not, nothing. No money. No raise. No government found lost money of mine, no rich prince from like Zimbabwebad sent me a check that I needed to go in cash so that he can get his money, nothing like that, nothing. How many of you fell for that in the 90s? Did anyone get that email? Be like, yeah, this rich guy really needs me to go and cash this check, right? This gentleman at, at lunch, although he was very well-intentioned, he was telling me something from a human perspective. His thesis was 
that obedience always leads to financial blessings. But contrary to popular belief, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't say that. Turn with me, if you will, to the last book in the Old Testament. It is the book of Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be in verses 7 through 12 in a message that I've entitled, Count Your Blessings. The prophet Malachi is prophesying to what we refer to as the remnant, the remnant of the people of Israel who have come back to Jerusalem from bondage in Babylon. So at one point, God took the people, allowed the Babylonians to come in and enslave the Israelites and take them to Babylon. And while they were there, they were there for about 70 years and God has now allowed some of them to come back. But you would think they're going to come back and start now praising God and worshiping God, but that's not happening. And Malachi is going to prophesy to them. And in less than 100 years after their captivity, their actions and their sin exceeds those of the people who, who hurt God so bad that sent them into captivity. So they came back into Jerusalem and they're living worse lives than they were before. And so Malachi writes this prophecy in which he delivers God's message of judgment on Israel for their continuing sin. I'm going to read through this. What Malachi is doing, he is, he's kind of scolding the people who are in Israel right now. Now listen to this. We're going to start in verse number 7. He's in the position of God talking to Israel right now, okay? He says, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is God still. But you ask... How can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? This is what God says. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food for my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out my blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. I think it's interesting that when we dive into looking at this section of Scripture that we find in verse 10, it talks about tithes and bringing them into the storehouse so that there will be enough food for my temple. Look why we're bringing them into the storehouse. We're bringing them into the storehouse because at that point, still, they're living under a law where there are certain people that are charged with taking care of the temple. That's how they are supported is from the tithes. And so he's saying, bring it into the temple. I've got people here that I'm trying to, they're trying to survive and um, you're not feeding them. Watch this though. Many times people misinterpret the scripture and connect the dots between bringing the tithes and God's response that he will pour out blessings so great that you won't have enough to, room to take it all in. 
Point number one in your notes this morning, it's the first thing that so many people miss in this scripture. This is so important. God chooses the blessings that he gives in return for our obedience. Whose choice is it of the blessing? It's God's choice, right? It's not our choice, it's his choice. God says here that his response to the tithe will be that he will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Your crops will be abundant, I'll guard them from insects, your grapes will not fall, the nations will call you blessed. God specifically mentions crops, protections for crops, does he say anything in here about loading your pockets with coins so heavy that your pants, your pockets rip out? Does he say anything in here about loading your bank account so big there's not enough zeros for the computer screen? It's not what he's saying, right? The word blessing in Hebrew, it's the word baraka, first occurred in God's blessing on Abram from the book of Genesis when God says, I will make you a great nation and I will, I will bless you, I'll make your name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, be a blessing to others. So here's the first blessing that we're seeing that God is using this term. Did we ever read that God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you with buckets of money. I'm going to bless you. I want you to go around, tell people about me. And everywhere you look behind every bush, there's going to be a bucket there. You're going to need some strong guys to carry it because there's so much money you're not going to know what to do with. That's, not what, he, that's not, not what he said. A blessing is an opposite of a curse. We see God's blessings that can bring righteousness, right? God's blessings can bring life. They can bring prosperity. It can bring salvation. It can bring rain. We see that God uses people to bring his blessings to other people. If you can imagine you're taking your son or daughter over to a friend's birthday party... But before you go to the birthday party, you have to stop somewhere and do what? Yeah, you've got to shop. You've got to go and buy a gift, right? You've been invited. There's a lucky seven-year-old that's going to get a gift from everyone in their class. You are going to walk into Walmart. You're going to brave the toy section to pick out this great gift that you and your child are taking to the birthday party. And traditionally, you and your child get to pick out the gift, right? Does the birthday boy ever tell you exactly what to buy him? Whose choice is it of what gift you take at the birthday party? That's yours, right? God never gave us an invitation to be obedient, telling us exactly what the blessing was that we were going to receive. He never says, I want you to be obedient because I'm going to give this exact gift to you. I'm going to give you buckets of money. But for some reason, there's this entire movement in the church that says that you're going to get a financial reward every time that you give to the church. God is the gift giver. And he gets to give his gifts and he gets to give his blessing based on our needs, not what we think we need and what we think we want. God gets to determine our needs. Amen? It is God who is, he looks down on us and he says, you know, I'm going to take care of your needs and I've got your needs right here. You think the flowers and the birds tell God, you know what I need? 
I really need a little bit more sun. This guy's like, he's taller than I am. I can't get any sun from these. He knows. He doesn't tell us to be obedient because we know what our exact blessing is going to be. And I know this is going to shock you and it's going to shock many people. Listen to this. Not everyone needs a financial blessing. Like, wow. What? Yeah. Not everyone needs a financial blessing. Sometimes what people really need is a blessing to have a friend who will answer the phone and listen. Sometimes what people need is a blessing of rest. Sometimes what people really need is a blessing of a sunset reminder that God is still there. Sometimes what people need is a blessing to have a coworker tell them about Jesus. And sometimes we need a blessing that's a phone call from somebody we haven't spoken to in years. Let me ask you, can you put a price on any of those blessings? If God is going to open up the window of heaven and shower us with blessings, why do we limit his ability to bless us by only assuming he's going to bless us financially? Doesn't that limit his hand? Finance is simply a means to an end. Our God is so big that he doesn't have to provide us with a means to an end. Our God can simply provide us with the end. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Jesus is having a conversation. There's a kid, there's a rich kid with money. 10 verses 17 through 29, it says... Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, he said Teacher, yeah, all of these I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, watch this, go away, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Wow, but he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Look what he kept and look what he walked away from. Do we need anything financially to tell other people about Jesus? No. I'm thinking as we move forward in this scripture, I'm thinking that Jesus just looked at this kid and shook his head as he walked away. This is what, it's not in the Bible, but I'm thinking Jesus just did this and just shook his head as that kid walked away. Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples, they were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again to them and said, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who, who then can be saved? What did they do? They attributed their church life and their salvation to having hordes of money, right? And Jesus just looked at them and said, Wow, with men it is impossible, but with God, read this with me, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have all left all 
and followed you. I want to read this because this is so important. Verse number 29, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Okay, verse number 30, here comes that controversial part again. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Did you see anywhere in there where it said, I know what you left to follow me and now I'm giving you buckets of money? Do you see that anywhere? It's not what he said. He said, there's no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters and a father and mother, wife, children, or lands who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. And he lists off the same thing. Here's the confusion. People are taking this literally. Like, okay, I walked away from my house to follow Jesus. Now he's going to give me a hundred houses. He's not. What he's doing is you're coming into a family that has a hundred houses. You're coming into a family that has a hundred brothers and a hundred sisters and a hundred mothers and a hundred lands and persecutions. You know what you're gaining? You're gaining all of this in the family. That's what we're gaining. And you know how much of it you can hold in your hand? None of it. But there's going to be persecutions. We're going to have persecutions. Point number two in your notes this morning. Earthly treasure is limited, but heavenly treasure is limitless. If I were to go back to the break room and talk to Jim today, and if he were to ask me, how well has that tithing thing done for you? And how many financial millions has God given you? That it doesn't work that way. I, I still have um, a few different jobs. And whenever I'm not preaching and I'm sitting in the back, I'll write a note to my wife sometimes from time to time. <laughs> Heavenly treasure is limitless. You can go to any country in our world, and if you're looking for a Christian, you're going to find one. If you're looking for a brother, you're going to find one. If you're looking for a sister, you're going to find one. Because God has put them there for a reason. And that's not because of our gift. Our gift is obedience. I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the last piece of scripture we're going to look at this morning. I know it sounds like I'm preaching a sermon on tithing this morning, and I'm actually not. This is a sermon on instruction and warning. And you've heard this before, I am going to preach on tithing, and it's not today. It's coming up before the end of the year, and I'm not going to tell you when, because then you won't come. So, um, that will, will be at some point soon. One of the arguments for the message of financial blessing in return for your offering comes from Paul's fourth letter to the church in Corinth. It's the book that we call 2 Corinthians. He actually wrote four letters. We have the second and the fourth, but we call them first and second Corinthians. Paul writes this letter as he travels, and he's been traveling around talking to other churches, and he's been boasting to them about the church in Corinth and telling them, telling all these other churches in Macedonia and saying, you know what, this church in Corinth, they are givers. 
they are really good at giving. And so he's boasting about them, telling other churches how wonderful the church in Corinth is at giving into this offering that's going to be taken to the saints in Jerusalem. Okay, So Paul says, um, I've been telling everyone about you, and um, I'm actually going to send some people to you before I get there. I'm going to come back and see you, but I'm going to send some people to just help them prepare, help, help you prepare for this gift. And so we get to verse number eight. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse number eight. And it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse number 10. Now he who supply, uh, supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Wow, look at that. Will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Did that at all say will enlarge the harvest of your finance? It's a little bit different, right? And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So there's a few things that we see in this scripture that has been twisted. At times, people will say abundantly, abundantly everything. Will God give abundantly? God will give abundantly, right? But it's not, again, it's not, us for, it's not up to us to determine the gift. Has God ever blessed you abundantly? In anything, in any one category, in any one area, if you are counting your blessings and writing them down, could you write down the same blessing, the same blessing, the same blessing, because God is blessing you abundantly with that blessing? He will bless abundantly. But the last part of this scripture is so important. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, watch this, so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Point number three in your notes this morning. God's blessing to us are to point others to Jesus. How selfish can we be to think that God gives us blessings as rewards that we could simply hoard for ourselves? Blessings are gifts, and what are gifts for? They're to be used to bring others into the kingdom for Jesus. That's the gifts that we have been given. So you say, so I'm supposed to give obedient to Jesus, and then he's going to give me gifts that I use to tell others about Jesus? Yes! That's what, that's what happens, and some say, well, what, 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 what's in it for me? Well, let's start with eternity, with Jesus. Let's start with your gifts that lead family and friends to Jesus so that when they pass, you know where they're going. Let's start with hope. Let's start with that phone call. Let's start with that rest. Our giving, it's not a lottery ticket. It doesn't give us rewards. We don't go into financial gifts expecting something. If absolutely nothing came back to us because of our gift, you know what? That's perfectly fine because our gift is obedience. Amen? Amen. Our gift is obedience. Have you ever 
maybe been at school. Maybe you were at school when, when you were younger. I hope we were at school when we were younger. But maybe there was a report or a test or there was something that you wanted to do such a good job on because there were parents that you wanted to show, I can do a good job at this. Or there was teachers that were teaching you and you just said, I'm going to do this job for them because I'm being obedient. And whether I get an A or whether I get an F, I'm giving it my best effort because I am under the authority and because I've been told. That's obedience. There's a reason now our, that our offerings here are at the, in the beginning portion of our service. It's either in our songs or at the end of our song set. And it's because we need to be able to associate that part of our service with our worship because our giving is worship. Amen? It's our obedience back. If there's anything that you take as application today, I would ask that we acknowledge and we understand that God does promise blessings. He absolutely promises blessings with our obedience. But when we in our mind limit those blessings to financial blessings, we have excluded so much of what God can do and we will recognize. God can do so much more, but if we're only looking for him to bless us financially, and if he blesses us with that phone call, and we're not attributing that to our obedience, you know what we did? We just kind of shorted God, right? And we just said, yeah, I got that phone call, but that's not what I expected. I told you what to give me. That's not our job to tell God what to give us, right? Because you know what? God knows our needs. Would it be fair to say that God has ever blessed you in ways that you never expected? That you would have never drawn up that blessing on your own? That you would have never thought this could ever happen to me? And it's all because with all things, with God, all things are possible.